John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29. If you need a Bible, KJ is right here with Bible in hand. I'd love to bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 1 John chapter 2. It's right before 2 John. And as Martin said, first service, it's right after Genesis. Eventually, sometime after Genesis. <laughs> A long ways from Genesis. Okay, we're going to read the text starting in verse 18 down to verse 29. Apostle John writes this, Little children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in Him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before man is coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The title of my message this morning is The Last Hour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us understanding and application as we study your word, uh, that we might... Uh, draw closer to you, Father, in our relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon our children as they are being ministered to downstairs by the, the teachers that you've raised up, Lord. Speak through them and bless them, Lord, we pray. Father, we do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you to be born again. They're not born again Christians. They're not saved. They don't know you as their Lord and as their Savior. Lord, would you especially speak to their hearts Help them to see the urgency and their need to come to you today. Thank you for this time, Lord. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I found five top pet peeves of the Apostle John. Number five, always being listed third after Peter and James. Oh, Peter, James, and John. Number four. People who think his last name is the Baptist. That's the other John. Number three, being called John Boy by the much older apostles. Two more. 
people who skip to the end of Revelation and miss the other 21 chapters. And the number one pet peeve of the Apostle John that nobody knows what John 3.17 says. For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now we know, as we've been studying, that, that John is the apostle of joy we saw in chapter 1. We'll see next week in chapter 3 that he's the apostle of love. But here in chapter 2, we might call him the apostle of hope. Because as we look around this world today, we know that the Lord is coming back. And that brings us as believers hope. In fact, we have this promise in verse 25, John says, and this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. That that gives us hope. We know that we're going to have eternal life as a believer. But we also know before that day comes, times are going to get worse before Jesus returns. Paul the Apostle warned us in 2 Timothy 3.1, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And John here in verse 18 says, Little children, it is the last hour. So Paul says it's the last day. John says it's the last hour. I would say it's the last seconds of the last hour of the last days. Last nanoseconds, if you would. Especially if you got a chance to, to, to watch the Behold He Comes Prophecy Conference yesterday from Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. If, if you haven't watched it, go online, get it, watch it. You'll be blessed, but, but you would say the same thing that I am saying to you this morning. There has never been a time in history when end times are more aligned with the culture and circumstances that are in our world today. It's hard to ignore the prophetic signs playing out all around us. I mean, you have to have your, your head in the sand. The falling away of the church, the, the, the devastating toil of pandemics, the, the silence of Christians, the rise of globalism, the weak world economy, the fallout of, of, of socialism, woke religion, all that's going on in the Middle East. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to see that all the pieces are falling right into place. And how close we are to Jesus' return. And that's why I love what John has to say here in 1 John. Is he gives us information and application. What to look at for. And how we are to be living in light of Jesus' soon return. If you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. Number one, a caution. Number two, a contrast. And number three, a comfort. John begins with a caution. Look at verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. I love that he begins this with little children. Now keep in mind he's 100 years old, so everybody to him is a little child. I mean, but more than that, John is concerned about the spiritual development of of his spiritual children. This, This term, little children, it's a term of endearment. He knows that times are tough. He knows people are going through difficult circumstances. And so he says, little children, no, this is the last hour. Last hour or last days describes the whole period between the ascension of Jesus and the second coming. Christians of every generation should always uh, see themselves as living in the last days. But here John gives us a reason why he believed it was the last hour at the end of verse 18. Where he says, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. So what's John talking about there? 
Well, one of the characteristics of the last days is the presence of Antichrist. The term Antichrist is used in the Bible only by John. It's described in uh, three different ways. An actual person who will embody the spirit of Antichrist in a final world rebellion against Jesus Christ. Secondly, a spirit in the world that opposes and denies Jesus Christ. And thirdly, any false teacher who, who, um, uh, who embodies the spirit as well. But first and foremost, John talks about the Antichrist. And it's an actual person who will ultimately embody the spirit in this final world rebellion against Christ. In other words, there's going to be this wicked, ungodly person who will be Satan in the flesh known as the Antichrist. Now, he goes by many different names. The man of sin, the son of perdition, the little horn, the wicked one, the prince who is to come, the one who makes desolate. But most of us know him simply by the Antichrist. Now, when people hear the term Antichrist, they probably immediately think of someone. Years ago, it was Adolf Hitler or uh, McCall Gorbachev because he had that strange birthmark on his head. They thought for sure that's the mark of the beast. Some people thought it's Henry Kissinger, who, by the way, is still alive and looks no different than he did during the Nixon administration. So I don't know. <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> some point to Turkish President Erdogan, which has some merit. Our, our 43-year-old president of France, Emmanuel Macron, has some strong possibilities. But with that said, there's even a website called David Hasselhoff is the Antichrist and I have proof. It's like playing the game pin to tell on the Antichrist. Yeah. But here's a big thing we all should know. We should not waste our time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is because the Bible tells us that the Antichrist cannot emerge until the church, that is us as true believers, are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, until we're taken out of the way. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So the Bible is telling us that there is this restraining force in the world today stopping this Antichrist, this man, from emerging. What is this restraining force? And I believe it's the Holy Spirit. Now, Sometimes people misunderstand what I'm saying. They think, well, are you saying the Holy Spirit's going to be taken from the earth at the rapture? No, that, that cannot happen. That's not going to happen because no one can come to Christ apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And the fact of the matter is there's going to be this great revival during the tribulation period. Millions are, millions are going to believe in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit will still be working on this earth. Now, I believe Paul is referring to the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. See, at this moment, the Holy Spirit through the church is stopping the spread of evil. I mean, after all, think about this. Who is speaking out for what is right? Who speaks out when, uh, for what is true? Who speaks out when things are going in the wrong direction, where there's evil out there? Who speaks out against adultery, against uh, the sexual immorality, against all these different things, against abortion? It's usually we are the followers of Jesus Christ. We are the restraining force in the world as we are being led by the Holy Spirit. But once that church is removed, 
Once the church is harpezoed, since the church is caught up, once we're raptured out of here, this man of iniquity, this Antichrist, can emerge and start doing what he's going to do. So I said, don't waste your time trying to figure out who this guy is. Don't look for the Antichrist. Look for Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said in, in Luke twenty-one twenty-eight, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Look up. Another translation of that would be stand straight up and look. And I got to tell you, after listening to all these speakers yesterday and, and the things they had to share, behold, he comes, prophecy comforts, I'm convinced personally that there's nothing more that, that can be prophetically fulfilled until the rapture of the church takes place. That there's nothing left. The, the next event has got to be the, master, the, the, the rapture of the church. Then these other things can, can finally conclude. And the only thing holding it back right now is the church. And that tells me that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. And, and, and we should all be looking for the Lord's appearing because that's what's next. Hebrews 9.28 tells us, Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and to those who look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Looking for him, not the Antichrist. It's in anticipation of his appearing in the clouds to meet us. Doesn't mean this Christians are all supposed to stand outside and gaze up into the sun like, like a bunch of dummies. No, but, but rather it means that we're to live our lives in recognition of the fact that Christ could appear at any moment for his church. And I believe very strongly that Christ's church, his church, followers of Jesus Christ, will not go through the great tribulation period. I know there are those who say, but, but you know what? Uh, you know, Christians, are the old. Christians go through tribulation. You know, so doesn't the Bible say in this world you'll have tribulation? Y- yeah, it does. But it's different between personal tribulation that we go through and the great tribulation that lasts for seven years coming to this earth. The tribulation that we face today really is, is from man. The great tribulation will be God's wrath on the earth. And that's what God promises to deliver us from. Over in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, he says to the last day's church, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from that hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those that dwell on the earth. He'll keep us from that hour of trial. Second Peter chapter 2, the apostle writes about how God spared Noah and his family, got them safely on the ark before the earth was destroyed. Also, he cites a story about how God delivered righteous Lot before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He got Lot out of there before it was destroyed. Summing it all up, Peter says in Second Peter 2.9, So the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous out of temptation and reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Besides all of that, Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.9 that, that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. But until that time, John tells us that, that the actual Antichrist appears. There will be, look at verse 18, even now many Antichrists have come, by which you'll know it's the last hour. Again, the three terms to describe the Antichrist, actual Antichrist himself, the spirit of Antichrist, and a false teacher himself. But here, John speaks really uh, of the spirit of Antichrist when he says, even now many Antichrists have come. Not an individual person, but an evil kind of spirit that is against Christ. And you can find that 
evil type of spirit in, in your cults and false teachings that are out there today, that are really all over the world today. So I want to turn in your Bible just a few pages over to 1 John chapter 4, because John digs into this a little bit deeper, and we'll get into it when we get there in, in a few weeks. But I just want to touch a little bit on here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit whether they are of God. Excellent advice in these last days. Why? He says, because he goes on, many false prophets have gone out into the world. So they're all over the world, false prophets. You know, John says in his fight against Gnosticism and how they teach that Christ was just a spirit, John says, no, if you want to know for sure. He goes on in verse 2, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. I like that. He's making it even clearer, uh, the truth here. Now, John doesn't just mean a physical body, though it means much more than it. Yes, Jesus did have a physical body, but in his physical body, he was God in the flesh. Because if, if you go on in verse 3 of chapter 4, John says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You know, there are a lot of very sincere religious groups out there that simply do not believe that God came in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. Yet here, John says they are the spirit of the Antichrist. Islam very much is the spirit of Antichrist. A very evil, false religious system filled with, with, with very sincere, devoted, deceived followers. Now, a lot of people think, well, well if, if I'm, I'm totally sincere in what I believe, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, if that's true, then those individuals 20 years ago that flew those airplanes into the Twin Towers and into the Pentagon and into the ground in Pennsylvania have gone to heaven because they seriously believed what they believed. That's foolishness. And, and some of the things that they believed is complete foolishness. Sincerity does not get you into heaven. See, the, 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 the depth of my sincerity, the issue is, 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 is what do I believe? It's not the amount of faith that I have. It's the object of my faith. See, I could drink poison and go, well, this poison isn't going to hurt me. I'm going to drink it. And I'll, I'll, I die. I'm going to jump off this cliff. I sincerely believe I won't die. You jump off a cliff, you're going to die. It doesn't matter. Truth is truth. No one gets to heaven because they're sincere. You can be sincerely deceived. You can sincerely believe the wrong thing and be sincerely wrong. And anyone who has believed and is sincere about the teaching of Islam is sincerely de deceived, and, and that's a simple truth. And I think, again, remembering yesterday and what it represents and 9-11, uh, we, we thank the Lord for those that, that spared, that, that, that won in and gave their life to save those uh, that in the tragedy of 9-11. Another example of this, Jehovah Witnesses. Not a Christian organization, but they have the spirit of Antichrist. Do you know, as of 2020, there's almost 8.7 million Jehovah Witnesses in 240 countries worldwide. And their aim is to reach at least once a year with one mission, uh, every household, and share Jehovah's kingdom. A lot of polite, nice, moral people in the Watchtower Society. You look at them, they don't swear, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't murder, they don't commit adultery. They're basically moral people. They're very, very sincere people. 
For they're very sincerely deceived. They believe the wrong thing. They've been taught a lie and have been led astray. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They vehemently oppose and deny and mock the idea and ridicule the concept of a triune God. But anyone, John says, anyone that denies the Trinity is not a part of Christianity, is not a part of the family of God. As we will see, you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. You reject Jesus Christ, you don't have God. The only way to get to God is that is it through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it himself, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And if you don't come to God, the Father through the Son, you don't have the Father. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Another example, spirit of Antichrist, is the, you know, the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints called Mormons. It's the spirit of Antichrist. They deny the doctrine taught in the Bible concerning Jesus Christ. Another group, Christian scientists, they're neither Christian nor scientists. Spirit of Antichrist. You have the Baha'i faith, which is kind of a diverse grouping, blending together of all the faiths. It's an ecumenical kind of concept, and you have all the different kinds of isms and religions and cults and false messiahs and prophets that come along, and you see all these false religious systems. It's the spirit of Antichrist. One more before we move on. Very applicable for today. In many ways, humanism is a false religion of our day today. It is the spirit of Antichrist. Humanism finds insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of the supernatural. Humanists believe that the existence of God is both meaningless and irrelevant to the question of the survival and fulfillment of the human race. Humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Humanism believes that man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. And because humanists believe that human life originates by evolutionary chance and that people are only physical beings, then it follows that for humanists, no human life has any inherent value or sacredness. If humankind would be better served by abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, or suicide, then it should be encouraged. It's the spirit of Antichrist. On a side note, Anthony Fauci is a humanist. He was voted 2121's Humanist of the Year. Now you know where he's coming from. You know he's, he's uh, as a Christian, he does not have your best interest in mind. This leads to the third way in which the term Antichrist is used. The term Antichrist is also used for a false teacher himself. You know, when you have a, a Mormon or Jehovah Witness at your doorstep and they're trying to teach you their false doctrine, they are Antichrist. Now, they don't see themselves that way because they're deceived. But John here, referring to these false teachers, tells us in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. John says, hey, they hung out with us, you know, we ate together, we, we hung out, but they really were not a part of us. They really were not born again. They really never truly regenerated. They were not believers. Because John says, had they been with us, stayed, they would have stayed with us. They would have continued with us. See, what I believe John is saying there is, when there is regeneration, when someone is truly born again, they're going to long for that place to be where the Word of God is taught. They want to have that fellowship with other believers. They long to continue to grow in their walk with the Lord. But here John says these people that turned away, that left, he wants us to understand they were never truly of us. Proof they were never really saved. 
I think when Jesus taught in Matthew 13 about the, the, the parable of the tares and the wheat and the tares growing up together, you know, pretty much they look the same on the outside. You really quite can't tell the difference until God's going to come in and separate the two. We can't really separate that many times. Many times we don't see it unless that person walks away and goes, you go, oh, man, okay, that was a tear. And that's the only way, you know. But Jesus said, you know, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Not everyone who says, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe in Christ, is truly of us. So their departure, John says, was an indication that they were not of them. Physically and morally and doctrinally, they departed from the faith. They turned away. And I think even among Jesus' disciples, Judas uh, was a tear mixed in with the wheat. So we have to believe in a modern church today there will be tears among the wheat. But, he says in verse 19, they went out, for, out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So again, these false teachers, these with the spirit of Antichrist, them leaving only manifested the truth that they were never really of them. They went back into the world, back into the things they did before. Second Peter, chapter 2, Peter brings this to us also, uh, in, in that of all of chapter 2, he warns about false teachers, how they bring upon themselves swift destruction and many will follow in their ways. But at the end of that chapter, Second Peter, chapter 2, Peter says, they make these proverbs come true a dog returns to its vomit and a washed pig returns to the mud. That's what John is saying here. They went out from us because they were, they were not of us. They, 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 they were, they're pigs. They, they came in, they got cleaned up, they had a bath, maybe cleaned up their life a little bit, but they hadn't really been regenerated and they went back into the mud. These were dogs that, that uh, had vomited and they went back to, well, you know. You know, I wish I hadn't seen this, but I've seen that for myself. Uh, I don't know if you have. It's disgusting. The dog throws up, and in his little dog brain, he thinks, mmm, a warm meal, you know. <laughs> then he licks it. Then he washes it down with toilet water. Then he wants to lick you in the face. And people say, well, dog's mouth is as clean as a human. I, I've never met a dog where that's true. Never. It doesn't happen. I love that Peter says these false teachers, they're like dogs that return their own vomit. You know, it proves they never really were of us. They never were born again. They went back to their old, old ways. So that's the caution that John gives, warning of these false religions, false teachers, the spirit of Antichrist, uh, the false teachers of the Antichrist, and the actual Antichrist. Point number two, we now see a contrast. Look at verse 20. In contrast to the Antichrist and the Antichrist and the false teachers, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Now this really is is a reference to the Holy Spirit. John says that true believers have been given the Holy Spirit, which then enables to know the things that they need to know. Now that doesn't mean that suddenly you become omniscient. Yes, look at verse 20. I am now omniscient. I know everything, you know. Next time you have an argument with your wife, you can quote this. I have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I know all things. As she hits you with the frying pan. You didn't know I was going to do that, did you? (laughs) What John is saying is the true believer has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit so that through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit, we have all that we need to know. In other words, we don't need some new revelation. Rather, we need an understanding of what we've already been given, our old revelation, what we already have. And God has given us His Holy Spirit so that we might know all things. And then he says this, look at verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. 
Who's a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This is huge. This really is a matter of life and death. John says the one who is a liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist. He's against Christ is the meaning of that. Now remember, John is, is writing to combat the false teachings of the Gnostics and Gnosticism who thought they knew it all. Remember Gnosticism, or the, in Gnosticism there was this guy named Serinthus who taught that, that man Jesus had the Christ consciousness come upon him at his baptism and right before his crucifixion the Christ consciousness left him. It's interesting because that's exactly what the Christian scientists teach today. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy, the, the founder there, that means Jesus had, quote, the Christ come on him. We looked at this a few weeks ago. It's really the New Age movement of today, which actually isn't new. It's, it's old. It's been around for a long time. New Agers talk about the Christ consciousness coming on, how Christ can be in all of us, and, and they kind of get in this trance and meditate on their navel, and Christ comes on them. It's just a bunch of looney tunes. What John is saying is that Jesus is the Christ. Not a Christ consciousness. He is the Christ. That word Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament Hebrew word for Messiah. In the New Testament, it's Christ, which means the anointed one. And what New Agers try to do is to separate the person of Jesus from the anointing. You can't. Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him to anoint him to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and he still is the Christ. But I love in Paul's epistle where Paul uses his full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not his first, middle, and last name, okay? It's a title. Lord speaks of his deity. He's Yahweh, the Lord, the sovereign God of all the earth. Jesus shows us he's a man. His name means God saves, a New Testament word for the Old Testament name, Joshua. Yeshua is salvation. Awesome name. And then he is the Christ, which means the Messiah, the anointed one. There is no other name by which we can be saved. Jesus is the Lord, the Messiah. And anyone who denies that has not the Father. In verse 23, but he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Totally supports the doctrine of the Trinity. You don't have the Father without the Son. That, uh, that is why if you're messed up with the doctrine of the Son, then you're going to be messed up with the doctrine of the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Now, someone might say, well, what's the big deal? Why does John get so uptight over these cultists who deny that Jesus is God? What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Look at it this way. Let's say you come over to my house. My son Joey's there, and we're sitting down talking, you know, and, and you know, having some iced tea or something. And suddenly a man comes in the front door, kicks down the front door. He rolls in a live grenade in your direction. As you sit glued to your chair, paralyzed in fear, I spring up into action. I get up, and I grab Joey out of his chair, and right before the grenade goes off, I throw Joey on top of that grenade to save you. <laughs> what kind of dad would I be? That'd be horrible. I couldn't pick Joey up anyway, but, but, but he'd probably be out the door. But, but, but it would be horrible. That is why it's such a damnable and erroneous picture that the cultist paints concerning the Father. That they say that Jesus was not God, not equal to the Father, but rather a created being the Father said to take the blow while he watched. 
Listen, unless I understand that Jesus himself is the wonderful counselor, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, unless I understand that Jesus is who he claimed to be when he said, I and the Father are one, unless I take Paul's words at face value when he said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself in 2 Corinthians 5.18, then my perception of the fatherhood of God and the sacrifice of Jesus his son is totally messed up. Paul told Timothy, great is the mystery that God became a man, 1 Timothy 3.16. So much more than a doctrinal discussion, because if you don't say that Jesus is God, then you make God a very cruel, awful person who created the Son to take the hit because he was unwilling to do it himself. On the other hand, if you uh, uh, believe Jesus is indeed God, then God himself absorbed the blow. He took the hit and was pinned to the cross personally for you and for me. He did it himself. No wonder those who teach anything else are damned. Now this brings us to our final point. Number one, we've had a caution from John. Beware of false teachers, false religions of Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist. Number two, a contrast. But you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit and you know all things. And now John gives us number three, a comfort. You might say safeguards to help us. Look at verse 24 through 26. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise, that He has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. First comfort that we're given here, safeguard in verse 24, if you're worried about Antichrist being deceived, remember, the Word of God is abiding in you, He says. He says, what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Father. One of the best safeguards that we have from false Christ, false teachers, false gurus, false religious systems, false doctrine is the book we call our Bible. That's our defense. That's our protection. That's how we know truth from error. But if you're ignorant uh, of the Bible, then you are susceptible to being led astray, to be seduced. You know, the cults, they love to pray uh, on untaught, uneducated, uh, biblically illiterate Christians, illiterate Christians. People have not been grounded in the Word of God, and they seek to pull them into their false teaching. And they'll knock on the door, and they'll tell you, hi, we're from the Bible Society. We want to have a Bible study. Would you like to learn the Bible? Oh, I like to learn the Bible. And you know, they'll kind of knock on the door and say, hi, we're a cult. We're a false religious system. How would you like to join us on our way to hell? They're not going to say that. No, no way. Oh, I'm so glad. I've been waiting for you. No. But they'll say nice things. You want to be, you know, would you like to live in a world where there's no war? Of course. Would you, would you like to live in a world where there's no jails and no sickness and no problems? And they have this magazine they'll hand you with this perfect family on it, the mom and the dad and 2.1 kids and the birds in the air and the little pet and the dog and the squirrel and the tree and the green grass. Look at this picture. Don't you want that? Oh, it's a great picture. And they draw you in and they get you into their Bible studies. They introduce you to their false teaching and their false doctrine. And the next thing you know, you're all confused. Well, I always was taught that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one, but, but what about Jesus? Oh, no, no, that's a false teaching promoted by those born-againers, you know, the end-time gang folks, those Christians. And they'll give you their twisted translations or one of their magazines and, and their things to read so that you get all twisted and all turned around. They want to deceive you. As John says in verse 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 
So John says, I don't want you to be deceived. You don't want to be deceived. You don't want to be seduced. Let me tell you, it's one of the hardest things to see as a pastor. Someone who gets pulled into a false teaching or, or false doctrine, and you try to get them back in the church. And they tell, oh man, I, I haven't seen you all. Oh yeah, I've been going over to this church over here. And man, it's just, it's just this experience, and I'm just so alive, and I, and I feel this, and I feel that, and, and, and it's just, just great, and I have this experience and that experience. Now, Pastor Greg Laurie says, it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. And, 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 I, and, and I can see they're deceived and they're buying into this experience-based faith. That's hard to see as a pastor. That no, man, you need to get into the Word. You need that verse-by-verse teaching. You need book-by-book, chapter-by-chapter. What's well, boring. I like experience. It's discouraging that people sometimes don't want the simple Bible teaching and doctrine. But it's the verse-by-verse teaching through, through the anointing of the Spirit that God opens our hearts to the Word of God. It's about reading the text and exploiting the text and applying the text. But you see this truly being the last hours, John says, Paul says, one of the signs of the last times is is they would reject, people would reject sound doctrine, sound teaching. 2 Timothy 4.3, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. New Living Translation, there's coming a time where people no longer listen to right teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. Isn't it sad and tragic in these last days? I mean, we're seeing the rise of Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. Everyone wants their ears tickled. They want to hear what they want to hear. They certainly don't want to hear about sin and about repentance and about confession and surrendering to God. People will not endure sound doctrine. Listen, every Christian should set out to study what the Bible teaches about the nature of God, about the person of Jesus, how you are saved. You should know what the Bible teaches about church, about the church, about Satan, about heaven, about hell, about the end times. You don't have to be a theologian in some doctrine sense of the word, but you should be theologically sound and you should be studying doctrine and theology. Nor do you have to be afraid of either word, doctrine or theology. The word doctrine simply means teaching. You know, when we say Bible doctrine, we simply mean Bible teaching. And the word theology basically means the study of God. Every Christian is a theologian. So when you go to lunch this afternoon, you can tell your waitress, hey, I'm a theologian. I study about God. You want to know about God? Why you serve us? In fact, we are all theologians here. Let us tell you about God. We should all know what the Bible teaches in order to not be led astray. But notice what John says in his next point, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, with that said, I do believe that that God has called certain individuals to teach the Bible, and that Scripture itself refers to men and women who have the gift of teaching. So this verse is not saying that we should never sit under human teachers, but what this verse is saying is that the ultimate illumination and understanding and quickening and insight of God's Word comes from the Holy Spirit. See, if if I'm up here talking and spouting up words and terms, it's not going to do any good unless the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and gives you the illumination. Now, my preaching and teaching, I do my best to have sound interpretation. I try to have sound principles on how I interpret the Bible. I want to be in context. I want to find out primary meaning of what the text is. 
If someone says it's one way, I want to find out for sure myself. I want to apply the Bible consistent with what it means in its context. But it's the Spirit of God that has taken the Word of God to you, and you have to be ready to receive it. Otherwise, it's just words. It's just words. But the Holy Spirit takes the Word and makes it alive to you. He illuminates it to you. I can't tell you how many times people come up to me and said, what you just said this morning. Did you know what was going on in my house? It really spoke to my heart. And I tell them, yes, we do. We have cameras. And we listen <laughs> every day. And, and uh, you didn't take the trash out on Tuesday. But, you know. No. I say, it's the Holy Spirit teaching you through being the Word of God. And I pray when I'm teaching that the Spirit of God does just that. That He opens up your heart and your eyes and your mind. And you go, wow, this is awesome. This is, oh Lord, you are just speaking this to me. This is incredible. And you're taking notes and you're writing in the Bible and you're, you're applying these, these truths that God is just speaking to your heart. See, the Holy Spirit is the true teacher. He's the one that has come to lead you and guide you into all truth. So there may come a time when you're perhaps listening to some other teacher, maybe on TV or a podcast that's popular these days, and you hear them say something that you go, wait a minute, that's not settling with me very well. That doesn't hit just right. Did he just say what I think he said? Why, why is that happening? Because you've been in the Word. You know what the Word says. So when something happens like that, you go, man, this is not consistent with God's Word. That's why, again, I strongly encourage you to bring your Bibles, to take notes, to, to underline Scriptures, to, 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 to write in your Bible. I encourage that. Or highlight. You can do it on, on your phone or tablet. You can highlight it. You know, John says it's, it's the Spirit of God that's teaching us. So two comforts, again, we have that God gives us. The Word of God and abiding in us and the Spirit of God teaching us. And what a great thing that is. And then finally, John closes with this encouragement. Look at verse 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. I mean, think about this as a Christian. The idea that at the Lord's coming, some would actually be ashamed. Caught doing something you shouldn't be doing. I mean, if Jesus were to come this morning, what would your response be? Oh, Lord, I'm ashamed. Please forgive me for the thoughts that I thought or the things I did yesterday. Lord, forgive me for the way that I lived this past week. Lord, forgive me for the way I've been living the last 10 years. Would you be ashamed at His coming? Or would you have the confidence, which simply means plainness of speech, just being able to call His name, oh Jesus, and look at His face and just have that joy? See, it all depends on where your heart is before God and how you've been living before God and your relationship with God. You see, John closes by saying, if you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. If you're doing righteous, it's an indication that you have been born again, that you've been born of God. Folks, we are living in the last days, the last hours, the last nanoseconds. Jesus Christ is coming quickly. When He appears, He's coming to take you to heaven where you will be with Him forevermore. But until then, John says, we must abide in Christ. Abide in His Word. Abide in His presence. Abide in praise. Abide in worship of Him. Abide in fellowship of other believers in Him. Abide in Christ. This is what it's all about. 
Are you abiding in Christ? Are you sold out for Christ? Now is not the time to be walking the fence, to be playing around with things in this world. Now is the time to commit our, our lives, our hearts, our whole being to the one who gave us life for us, the one who's returning for us. So I ask you today in closing, do you have the absolute assurance that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? If Jesus were to return for his church, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord's return? Jonathan Edwards once said, Resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Now I'm sure I can think, we can think of nothing better than right now for the Lord just to take us in church, worshiping the Lord, listening to a Bible study. I would love to be teaching God's Word when He takes me home. And just go, okay, He's going to finish for us all. You know, we're good, we're here, we're in His presence. I would absolutely love that I would be it would be amazing it'd be great what if it happened tonight would you be ready what if the Lord came last night would you have been ready if not let me strongly encourage you get ready because that is our great hope that Christ could come back at any moment and he will be coming for those who are watching and waiting and if you're one of those people I'm excited if you're not one of those people Become one of those people. Get right with God. Know that you know that if you were to die, if Jesus were to come back, that you would be ready. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray. Holy Spirit, that you speak to every one of us here in this room. Lord, help us all to be right with you. Lord, help us to know you as we ought to know you. To be ready to meet you whenever that moment should be. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, they're not ready, they're not born again, they're still dead in their trespasses and sin, as your word says, you would show them their need to repent, and just by putting their faith and trust in you, Jesus, they can have their sin forgiven and be born again, and be ready to go with you when you come. Lord, I pray for us as believers. Maybe some of the things this last week or, the, or these last few days or even this morning, we would be ashamed if, if suddenly we were in your presence in the rapture. Help us to live, Lord, as though you could come back at any moment, to occupy until we come, to do those things that you've called us to do. Lord, to be that light in this dark world, as your word says, we are the, 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 the tool that you use, your Spirit, Holy Spirit, and to be that restraining force in an evil world. So Lord, we're praying for the opportunity to share our faith. We pray for the upcoming Franklin Graham uh, crusade, Lord, that there be many non-believers come out, Lord, walk in non-believers and walk out believers. Lord, we pray uh, just that you continue to give us boldness to share our faith to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. And all things, Lord, you will be glorified, you will be exalted. We long for your return. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.